Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays win again, seven to one against the New York Yankees. And there are a few little swing pieces to this. Uh, first of all, this maybe doesn't make you feel any better about the playoff picture. Uh, Jays now the third best record in the entire American League. But guess what place they are in their division? Third. Guess what wild card spot they're in? Second. Uh, they have a chance to by the end of tonight have the fifth best record in all of major league baseball. And they'll be sitting in wild card two, staring down a matchup with the Tampa Bay Rays. No, I can't let you feel good about another win for the Toronto blue Jays. Uh, by the way, if you are standings watching and things like that, little simplification for you because Seattle and Texas have seven games left against each other because there's a series with Houston left in there. 91 wins is the target. If the Jays win 91 games, so that's seven more wins here. They clinch. No matter what else happens, obviously there are scenarios where they win six or five or whatever, and they get in. But if they win seven more, if they can go seven and four of these last 11, they get the 91 wins and it's a lock they're in. So that is kind of the, the target you're keeping here. Maybe seven and four is a little bit aggressive. So you got to keep an eye on out of town scoreboards and things like that. And of course, if Houston, Texas, and Seattle lose some games here and there, that magic number will decrease, but there is a simplicity of, not only are you in the second wild card spot, so you control your own fate in terms of making the playoffs because those teams play against each other so much. Uh, only two of Houston, Seattle, and Texas could get to 91 wins. All three can't get there. So that's the target right now. Maybe that target's a little lower tomorrow. We'll see what happens in the series finales today between Houston and Baltimore, Seattle and Oakland, Texas and Boston. And we'll see what happens with Jays Yankees as they get underway game two. Gosman against King tonight. Elsewhere around the league, by the way, uh, Texas, Seattle, Texas and Seattle won yesterday, Baltimore and Tampa Bay both won. Uh, if you're keeping an eye on the American League East race, because the loser of that race will at this point in time, it looks likely host the Blue Jays. But even if they don't, they'll be the wild card one. Um, and then, yeah, there's a division racer that that's always worthwhile uh, keeping an eye on. But it also has an impact on things like, hey, are the Tampa Bay Rays playing to win every game in that final series of the season. Well, the Rays remain two and a half back of Baltimore. I don't believe they have the tiebreaker there. So um, that is close, but not quite close enough for the Rays right now. Lots of baseball still left to be played. Jays playoff odds. If you care about such things up to 82.8% this morning. So that's uh that's nice. That's all good stuff. Seven, one win yesterday was also quite good. Had a lot of contributions from, Players up and down the lineup. Uh, you got a George Springer leadoff birthday home run. You got a Bo Bichette home run on a, a really nice piece to right center field. You got Matt Chapman, a little bit of garbage time, but still nice to see him get an extra base hit on the board. Alejandro Kirk follow it with a two-run home run. There were a couple negatives, though. Uh, the first being Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did not look uh, super, super comfortable. He went 0 for 5 and whatever. You could deal with the results. Um, one of those was a, a reach on error where a run scored. But uh, running down the baseline looked very uncomfortable for him. It was a DH day for him. He was removed for a pinch runner. And John Schneider said after that he's uh, a little banged up but was pretty vague about that. So that's uh, a concern. Also a concern. Yusei Kikuchi absolutely dealing through five innings, only at 77 pitches. So they let him go out there for the sixth. They let him face the top of the order a third time through. And then he comes out of the game with 
an upper trap cramp. Now, everyone downplayed it after the game. Today will be a big day to see how he feels, but most people seem to think that's uh, that's no big deal there. And in Yusei Kikuchi's estimation, he was just a little sleepy. That's all. He only, and I'm. this is from him, I'm not joking here, he only got 11 hours of sleep, not his usual 13 or 14. Uh, joining us now, sleep expert to help us figure out if sleeping 14 hours is even possible is Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet, of sports.ca. Uh, ben, how are you this morning? It's 10 a.m., so you certainly didn't get your 14 hours last night. No, that's incredible. I'm actually amazed. That's like, that's so much sleep, right? <laughs> like you think about a, a game like that might end at 10 p.m. So like, is he in bed at, I don't know, like 1130 and sleeping until like 2 p.m. the next day? This is like, this is a lot of sleep. It's a lot of sleep. And and I get it. Like sleep is the most important part of recovery. We we talked to the world's strongest man on here on this show about Yusei Kikuchi's potential, you know, breaking through his deadlift plateau. And yeah, rest is a uh, rest and recovery are a big part of this, especially when you're an athlete at the highest level, but pra- practically 14 hours seems almost impossible. Now, look, if you are during a 10 game homestand, Sure. I, I guess you could you could work it out. But to do that even on the road seems like certainly on a travel day, that's out. Maybe it's just the night before he pitches. But man, I'm calling I'm not saying he's he's fibbing, but it seems difficult to imagine he gets fourteen in before every start, right? Yeah, especially if he's starting a day game. Like, what time is he going to bed? If he's uh, starting at 1 p.m. or 1.30? Well, maybe he goes the Um, other way and he just pulls an all-nighter. He doesn't sleep, and then he sleeps like 18 hours after the game. Who kn- I, I have a lot of questions about this one, but it's interesting, right? And like different athletes have different um, approaches to this. Like you hear stories from people around the Blue Jays about, you know, Roy Halladay and how he would like wake up at 5 a.m. in spring training or even earlier and be at the ballpark at like 4.30. And great, that worked for Roy Halladay. So whatever you say Kikuchi's doing is obviously working. Like clearly he <laughs> needs to s- stick with whatever sleep schedule he's on. You know, it's not a product of laziness. It's it's a, it's working. So, you know, whatever it is, make sure he gets his beauty sleep and and make sure that he can keep going out there. And it sounds like he will be able to, but yeah, I still can't get over the fact that he's that he's resting that long. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild, and yeah, we, we got to look at the daytime nighttime splits and and the the are you traveling across time zone splits. We're basically going to you know prove sleep. He's just a sleepy guy to a statistically significant level uh, as we dive in here on the more serious side. Ben, look, you say Kikuchi downplayed it after the game. John Schneider kind of downplayed it. They said today would be big to just see where he's at with that trap cramp, but nobody seemed too worried about his status. Now with six game days in a row and then an off day there, there's also a little bit of wiggle room where say Kikuchi wasn't a thousand percent ready for Sunday. He could get bumped to Tuesday and get some extra rest there. Uh, That would would require Kevin Gosman to punt on his extra day of rest and start on regular turn. How do you think they would handle obviously how this week plays out to some degree has an impact on that. But let's say, you know, you're considering Gosman on Sunday instead of a bullpen day uh, or a triple A call up, you know, he kind of needs to know by Friday for side session purposes. How, how do you think they would handle it? If Kikuchi does need a couple extra days, but not an IL stint. You know, I actually think that it's very likely that Kikuchi is going to tell them he's good to go and that he is pretty much ready to take his regular turn. I think that you don't want to shift Gosman around too much because as it stands now, he's lined up for that game 162. Yep. Um, so or I, I game one that, of the wild card if you have it locked up. 
Exactly, which is which is obviously the preference. So I, I think Kikuchi will make his next start on turn. Um, he's definitely a gamer. He does not want. He didn't want to be taken out last night by the looks of it. Um, so I think that he's going to most likely take that turn. And you know, you mentioned this off the top, but of the of the injury situations um, surrounding the Blue Jays right now, like I'm I'm a little more I don't want to say concerned, but I guess like intrigued or. Um, you know, monitoring this the status of Vlad Guerrero Jr. because mm-hmm. it's not like Vlad Jr. gets four days between his games. Like he's such a gamer, he's out there every day. So then, if he is banged up, when is that chance for Vlad Jr. to get a little bit of rest and recovery? So just something to keep an eye on. You know, it doesn't sound like the Blue Jays are treating that as something major right now. But um, you know, I think Kikuchi for his part will be out there. So the yeah, I'm I'm gonna come back to the Vlad thing in just a second here because I do want to talk about exactly what you just laid out there. Where's a spot for him to maybe get rest? Obviously, the answer to a lot of these questions is, well, if you get the job done and you get to your 91 wins, which is, as I said off the top, that's the cutoff now. If you get to 91 wins, no matter what happens elsewhere, you've clinched a spot. Um, So the earlier you get to that, the more you can prioritize rest in that final week and things like that. Um, But on the Kikuchi front, let's let's play out a negative where he's not ready to go and you don't want to shuffle Kevin Gosman. Um, Look, we have done this talk a couple times. You kind of broke the news here on Blue, on Jay's Talk Plus a couple weeks ago. We, we talked about it in depth. But, man, you're, we're starting to see now. We all knew it. But when something like this pops up, the Alec Manoa non-playing situation kind of rears its head because there's nobody down there on the 40-man. It would almost certainly be a bullpen day if it came to that, right? I would think so. I mean, you could think about someone like a Mitch White who's been down at AAA and pitching, and pitching a little better. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So you could look at that. I mean, that would require a 40 man move because he's off the 40 man mm-hmm. at this point. Um, you could make that happen. It, it would definitely be doable. Um, so I think covering the innings, you'd actually be fine for one turn. Now we're getting so close to the end of the year that it's not as though you're really concerned about an extended absence and having to cover so many innings. So I, I actually think they're in a, especially with an off day Monday as well. They can absorb these innings. And and again, I really do think that Kikuchi is going to be able to make that start just based on, um, you know, his approach to these things and, and the way the team described it as more of a cramp than a major issue. But you're right. I mean, this is definitely, this is a time of year where you want to have depth in every possible direction. And the Jays don't have a ton of that in some key areas. Yeah. And look, there is uh, there's one exciting option someone who's lined up to start for Buffalo maybe on the weekend and Ricky Tiedemann, but again, another 40 man spot move and, you know, doing that earlier than you have to, even if you look ahead to the off season, you know, you're going to need to protect guys from rule five and things like that. It seems a little, maybe a little short sighted to, to do the Tiedemann move with Mitch white. You'd have to consider while well, you already outrighted him to triple a one. So if you DFA him off the 40 man again, you know, he could, he could elect free agency. So there's, there are some things to consider there. And basically, yeah, I'm at a point where I think they would probably just bullpen day it, maybe call, you know, send up, send down whoever's not fresh in the bullpen and call a, an extra arm up, um, you know, just to be to be safe or whatever. But yeah, it, that's that's probably the route we're going. So let's talk about the Vlad one that you are a little bit more concerned about. Um, if anyone missed it, Vlad goes over five last night. He does reach on an error that, that scores a, an insurance run late. But every time out of the box, he looked a little wobbly a a little uncomfortable the broadcast pointed out a couple times it was pretty obvious to look at even you know you I I know some people probably jump to Vlad's not running out of the box on a double play and then you see the the replay back on the double play he did hit into and it's like ooh, that that looked uh that looked a little uncomfortable there so 
they said after the game that he's banged up. And this was coming off an off day and a day where he was playing the designated hitter position. Um, look, how you can handle this for right now, if Vlad, if they deem Vlad good enough to hit, I think it's pretty straightforward. He'll be the DH and Kevin Biggio, instead of being in that second base slash corner outfield mix, just becomes the first baseman. But you're thinking this is maybe something where they'd look to get Vlad a couple days down, or ideally they, they would do that if every game were not in, in kind of must-win territory? Yeah, like I think if this was spring training, you probably just give Vlad a few days or give give Vladdy a couple days. Um, knowing where we are on the schedule and knowing just how Vlad Jr. approaches these things, he's going to be really tough to take out of the lineup. Like there, there are a lot of times, and especially at this time of year, like he really wants to be in there. He takes a lot of pride in that. And I don't think he's going to be easy to remove from that lineup. So I think he keeps playing. Um, maybe there's a situation where, hey, at the end of next week, if the Blue Jays are already approaching those 91 wins or if one of the Mariners or, or Rangers has gone on a real skid and it's looking like, hey, you might just need 89, you're in a really good position, then you could look at giving Vlad Jr. a few days off his feet in a good case scenario. But you're right, maybe for now that just means mixing in a bit more DH time, um, getting treatment for, again, we're not exactly sure what's going on as far as Vlad Jr. and and his... Um, you know, how he's doing physically, but obviously it was enough to come out of that game late and and enough to cause some apparent discomfort. So, you know, this is a big variable for the Jays because we've seen in the last month or the last few weeks anyway, just how good he can be. Even in a down year, he can really, you know, have those stretches where he's homering three times in three games and having some really, really good at-bats against some tough pitching. So, you obviously want him in there, but you got to keep him healthy. So it is that fine line that they're walking. It's also a bit of a weird one, Ben, because yeah, look, if you lock things up, you know, say you say you get you go five and one this week, right? You're entering that last week of the season feeling super, super good, and you can maybe afford some rest days and stuff like that. But also to get there, you probably have to play something close to your best baseball. So you're almost in a spot where, well, yeah, you gotta play him now banged up to get in a position where you could rest him later. Or if you rest him now, you could potentially be in a spot where you can't afford to rest him later. It's a it's a bit of a not chicken or egg, but it's a, a bit of a, a paradox thing with the timing of when these wins come. So it, it obviously goes without saying, but the absolute urgency to win more earlier in this stretch and leave nothing to the final week of the season as much as possible has to be the priority the rest of the way here, right? Like, like lock yeah. it up ASAP. You can't reach wild card one. You know, 91's the absolute cut off and, and that could lower by tomorrow and things like that. Um, that that's, they've got to kind of play with an urgency, even though seven and four is maybe not necessarily that urgent a record. Is that, is that a fair way to phrase it? Yeah. I, you know, I think so. And I think like you look at it tonight's game, it's a huge game. It really is. And I would expect Vlad Jr.'s in there. And I think that's a reasonable um, call to make if if he's um, arriving at Yankee Stadium today feeling good to go, or at least as a DH, then then go ahead, do it. You know, this is this is a time of year where the stakes are super, super high. So I think that makes sense. Um, and, and especially like you look at, okay, the Jays have had this great stretch, right? The last four or five days, everything has just gone their way, which they needed really badly. And yet, by the end of tonight, the Jays could be out of a playoff spot. Like it can flip, you know, it really can. If the Rangers and Mariners win and the Blue Jays lose, they're out. So, you know, for now, and then there would be a chance to get back in and we would keep going from there. But, and, and they face Garrett Cole tomorrow. So it's like, 
okay, you don't want that scenario to play out, so you got to take care of business at Yankee Stadium. So tonight's game is a really big one. I know they've played awesome the last few well they've played good enough to win which is the important <laughs> part the last the yeah. last few games i'd give them awesome um, yesterday i don't know that i would call i mean you were you were on the call for those boston games i'd imagine the saturday game is still making you shudder a little bit oh yeah not awesome it, you know they played well <laughs> enough their pitching was really good their oh my god their their base running is not they're not a good base running so team they actually i want every day I, I want to ask you about. I, I was gonna. I was gonna just pocket it, but and this is a little inside yeah. baseball. But I'm super curious. I, I know when I do the color commentary in the radio games, there are certain game styles and certain parts of the game that I get really excited for and feel really good about and, and things like that. Um, a game like that that goes extra innings, where there are so many tactical decisions to break down. Obviously, from a fan perspective, that game on Saturday probably made some people even more. Um, insane uh for you though on the call how much did you enjoy getting to go through those kind of pinch hit pinch run hit and run relief pitcher scenarios uh live as it was playing out and getting a couple extra kicks at it in extra innings oh it's so much fun i think you know when you're looking at bullpen decisions in high stakes games it's really fascinating you really learn a lot about how the team views its relievers if you're paying close enough attention and then even with the pinch hitting, I mean, Saturday was the game, as you know, where they pinch hit for Matt Chapman. Like, yep. That's probably the most interesting pinch hit decision we'll see from the Blue Jays all year, at least so far, um, to pinch hit for Matt Chapman. Bring in Kevin Biggio. Biggio delivers, sets up the whole you know, win. So they had some things go really, really well in that game. Again, they they deserve to win that <laughs> game. They played better than the Red Sox. I mean, say Dan Rafaela definitely made a mistake. A little hey, assist there, yeah. Part- yeah, but that's part of the game, right? That's yeah. that's a Red Sox player making a mistake. So the Blue Jays capitalize, they score, they win. That's how it goes. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that those decisions are super interesting, um, and it's it's a lot of fun, um, especially in in the situations where the fans uh, have something to cheer about. There's a walk off win. I mean, those are those are pretty big moments, and I think for a lot of the year. The Jays haven't really had a lot to celebrate. It's been a team that's disappointed pretty consistently. And so to have back-to-back walk-off wins was probably a nice counterpoint to some of that. Yeah, and some of Wagner's best calls of the season in those couple games there with the walk-offs. That was a, a lot of fun. Um, okay, so pivoting back to you know the value of getting your wins in early here, playing tonight with some urgency. If baseball, if the baseball playoff format was purely a meritocracy and everything was as fair as can be, there would always be an incentive to climb as high in the standings as possible. But I set it up earlier. The Jays have the third best record in the American league. They could have the fifth best record in all of baseball by the end of tonight. And they are in the second wild card spot with no chance of getting higher than that, except in some absolutely bizarro scenario that, I mean, I guess since the Jays play the race six times, it's not impossible, but they're not catching the wild card one spot in all likelihood. This is a year, though, where it's set up. And look, I will acknowledge that the Minnesota Twins, the starting rotation they can roll out in a wild card series is pretty tremendous. They have a pair of Cy Young candidates in Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray. Uh, They have a, a decent bullpen. They'll probably move a starter to the bullpen and things like that. Having said that, the third wildcard team gets the Minnesota Twins. The second wildcard team gets probably the Rays or maybe the uh, Baltimore Orioles if the Rays catch the Orioles. Um, certainly, if you're the Jays, you cannot play for wildcard three because the race is too tight. But 
you, if you're the Jays, you do not care about wild card two over wild card three. If as long as you're in, right? I I agree. I don't think you can try to finesse it. And I honestly, I don't think there's a, well, I don't know. I think the Rays are actually really good. So I, I think the mm-hmm. Rays are the better team. And I think you'd rather face the twins, but like, not by such a huge margin. Like the twins are good. And I know people give them all kinds of crap because they're in a division that's uh, not good at all. Um, and yet I, I look at the twins team and I'm like, okay, they have the pitching, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. their hitting has gotten better as the season's gone on. Like they have Royce Lewis. Now they have Jordan Luplo back. <laughs> well, he was DFA. Yeah, but, I yeah know. they have, I know. Um, they, they have like Willie Castro has been really good for them lately. Um, Julian has been better as the season's gone on. So like, they're, I actually think they're like pretty good. They're not a bad team at all. Um, again, I think the Jays are are just as good as the Twins, probably a little better. I think the Rays are definitely better than the Twins, but like it's so hard to, you know, in a three-game series, it's a good team either way. So I, you know, I just don't think that you really gain that much by trying to finesse it. And so the best thing that you can do for yourself if you're the Blue Jays is just find, first of all, just get in. So that's the most important thing. And then secondly, if you can get in, find a way to clinch it by the Saturday. So you don't have to burn Gosman on the mm-hmm. Sunday, the final Sunday of the regular season. And if you can do that, then that's pretty much like, that's a pretty good outcome. Cause then you line up Gosman, Barrios, Bassett. Then, you know, you go into the, potentially you win that series. You go into the next one with you say Gosman, like you're, you're in a good spot if you can do that. Yeah. Jordan Luplo, by the way, uh, 185 WRC plus this year as a pinch hitter. Uh, one, what was it? 124 against lefties and 111 overall as a Minnesota twin. Uh, hard luck, hard luck DFA there, but that's what happens when uh, guys come back off the, uh, off the IL. Uh, in this case, uh, Michael Taylor needing a spot for them. So unfortunate there. I, I think that's well said, Ben. I think, look, in a wild card series, we saw last year, there's just a lot of randomness to it anyway, even if you, do like your matchups and think you're the better team. But yeah, if you're looking down Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray, um, there are no such thing as good matchups in that, uh, in that wild card side. So Kevin Gosman's going to go tonight and he's obviously had a very good season. He'll, he'll be on some Cy Young ballots and things like that. Um, he's been a little shakier as of late, not terrible starts, but Teams able to run him out of the games pretty early, get the pitch count up. He's only gone past the fifth inning once in his last four starts. Um, we know that historically there's been a bit of a, uh, Gosman's still good in September, but he, he chills out a little bit uh, over the last couple of years. And there's also this year, some good team versus bad team splits with Kevin Gosman. Um, what of that, if anything is on your radar, these last two, maybe three starts for Gosman in the regular season here. Yeah, you know, he hasn't been quite quite as sharp. Uh, there was obviously a great outing in there against the Kansas City Royals, contributing to that sweep uh, here in Toronto, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, the walks have been a little bit higher lately. I mean, you look at his last start, um, the command wasn't right there against Texas. Obviously, you know, nothing went right in that um, in that series. So, uh, it not uh, he wasn't alone in that respect. But, yeah, I think you just want to see him you know, locating the fastball in the zone, getting ahead, um, using the splitter to put guys away. We've seen him go to that slider at times as well. Um, but to me, 
end of the day, you're going to have a lot of confidence in Kevin Gosman. And I think against this Yankees lineup, like I remember early in the season when they were in New York, I was covering that series and he was facing Volpe for the first time. And he absolutely just deconstructed Anthony <laughs> Volpe. Like he was like standing up there like, oh, wow, this is like what major league pitching looks like. And he struck out. I'm pretty sure it was every single time he faced Kevin Gosman. So, you know, of course, some of these guys are going to have a, a chance to rebound and learn from those first chances but the Yankees also have a lot of rookies in there who might not have faced a lot of Kevin Gosman so to me this guy is like a major league starting pitch a frontline major league starting pitcher and I'm expecting him to go six seven innings and allow two or three runs yeah and the the data that we have on minor league pitch types and it's not perfect data but Lance Brzezowski was on with me a couple weeks ago and he was going through some organizational pitch type data and things like that there are not a lot of splitters that get thrown in the minor league so um, whether it's someone the elite level of Kevin Gosman or just you don't see a lot of splitters on your way up this is a Yankee team that depending on what lineup decisions they make could have six guys 26 or younger in the lineup on a given day yeah there, there hasn't been a lot of uh, a lot of Kevin Gosman types on their way up through Scranton Wilkes Bear. Um, okay, so on the the Blue Jays side, David Schneider might be dealing with something like that too, right? He he has the best start in Major League history. The book gets out on him a little bit. He has been unfortunate in terms of some, you know, statistically, he's been the most unfortunate hitter in baseball in terms of um, balls being called strikes. Since he arrived in the major leagues, he's obviously had in that Saturday game, you called some batted ball misfortune where he's hitting lasers right at outfielders in all three uh, parts of the field. But, you know, that that explains some of it. He's also in an 0 for 23 stretch here. He has a walk in there. He has a hit by a pitch in there. What have you seen in Davis Schneider's kind of six game? I don't even want to call it a slump because... You know, uh, an 0 for 23 stretch is, is bad, but he's a rookie and, and it's only six games. But uh, in that downturn, how much of that are you seeing? Hey, there's an element of bad luck here. How much of it are you seeing? Hey, there's also an element of teams are not figuring them out. But hey, there's eight strikeouts mixed in there. Maybe there are some um, some strategies for Davis Schneider that other teams are, are finding their way to. Yeah, and I think no doubt those teams should be looking for those after the way that he's he's hit. So yeah, I'm sure teams are game planning for him a little bit more. Um, you know, I, like I obviously don't have to tell you this, Blake, and probably a lot of the listeners too, but this is like where you have such a difference between, hey, what's happened, which, you know, obviously the 0 for 23, like not good, not what you're looking for. And then, okay, what does this actually mean? How does this change how we might project David Schneider going forward, having watched him making these decisions and making these swings? And to me, like there was one pitch last night where he chased and expanded, but okay, it's major league pitching. They're going to get you to do that sometimes. And for the most part, like even that line drive that he hit all the way to the center field wall, I'm kind of like, this is really good contact against major league pitching. And he's finding ways to put really good swings on some pitches that he should. So honestly, like, you know, I, I just, I have full confidence in David Schneider still. I think that, you know, it, I'm not saying that he's, He's Vlad Jr. when it comes to what he can do up there at the plate. But I do think that he is a good major league hitter, um, which, you know, 31 games into his major league career, that's 
that's pretty impressive to have that kind of confidence in what he can do. But he's shown us that the quality of his at-bats and the quality of his contact is consistently pretty good. And I don't even think this last slump really undermines it that much. No, I don't think so either. And you mentioned, yeah, literally 400 feet was the measurement on that on that loud out to center field yesterday. Um, and look, eight strikeouts over six games is is a lot. But this is a guy who had some swing and miss in his profile. It's, uh, it's not the end of the world. And it's kind of, you know, what he needs to do with his swing path and his frame and not elite exit velocities to make sure when he does hit it, there's hard contact there. You kind of got to swing ahead of your shoes sometimes, Dustin Pedroia style. Um, Okay, so Ben, that is your take on it. I would agree with that assessment. There is a playing time crunch a little bit, though, between David Schneider, Whit Merrifield, Dalton Varsho, Kevin Biggio for just a couple of spots. Now that eases up just a tiny bit while Brandon Belt's out here and if Vlad needs more DH days. Um, but how do you see that shaking out over the next couple of days? I guess my, my question is that is our interpretation of what's gone on with David Schneider here. Does John Schneider operate with the same interpretation or because, hey, over 23 is over 23, someone else is getting a shot today? Well, we'll see how it unfolds day to day. Um, You know, I'm not going to try to predict that. But I think, like, by and large, the Jays are confident in what they've seen from David Schneider. He'll continue to get reps. Um, They're seeing these at-bats as well and seeing the quality of contact. And so um, I don't think they'll they'll be hesitant to put him in there, which is good. And that does mean that some other guys are going to have fewer opportunities. And I think if that means you see less of Whit Merrifield, even less of Dalton Varsho, I think that's okay. And I think like, you know, we're in a really interesting pocket of the schedule and they alluded to this on the broadcast last night, but you know, there's a ton of right-handed pitching coming up against the Blue Jays. And that's this series against the Yankees, probably against the Rays. And then kind of the same thing next week. They they may not see a lefty the rest of the way. They may not see a lefty until the division series. Yes. Like John means and Carlos Rodon are the only guys potentially they could run into over these next couple of weeks. Even in, in the playoffs, in the scenario that they're facing Tampa, that's righties because yep. you got Savali and Glasnow and Eflin. And then if you're facing the Twins, it's, it's the all same righties. thing with the guys that you mentioned. So, you know, this is, it's going to be a good chance to have a lot of Kiermaier in there. Um, again, you don't want to play Kiermaier, I think, every single day. I think you got to get him some rest. I might actually look to get Kiermaier a day of rest today. Um, but, um, you know, Kiermaier, Varsho, those guys are going to match up better. And then I also think like because you're facing so many righties and because if you make it to the playoffs, you're going to face a lot of righties in the playoffs. I, I think that the return of Brandon Belt is something really to watch here. And, you know, he's obviously working through some stuff physically right now um, to try to get back. And, you know, we'll see when that timeline is. Doesn't seem to be absolutely imminent, but he's a big, big hitter for this team, especially in those games where you're going to face right-handed starting pitchers. Do you worry at all, especially with time running out here for a potential rehab assignment? They sounded a little unsure yesterday about whether he'd even be ready for a rehab assignment uh, in time. Do you worry a a little bit about that, especially with something like a, a back that, you know, you don't really know where it's at until you get in there and hack? I mean... Even if this was May, would Brandon Belt be going on a rehab assignment? I mean, he's, yeah, uh, maybe not. He hasn't exactly like even in spring training. Like he barely played in spring previously when he was on the injured list. I'm pretty sure he didn't go on a rehab. Like I'm not thinking Brandon Belt really is going to go on a rehab assignment. And I think at this point in his career, he's kind of a show and go player. And look, the results are there. Like, yeah, ideally, you probably find a way to get him some live a B situations. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what that looks like. I think you want to somehow replicate game conditions, but 
I don't think he's going to go to Buffalo and ride buses for four or five days. No, we oh, could go to Buffalo and for <laughs> one day on Sunday and then rejoin oh, the team know. in Toronto or something like that. Well, I don't know. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see. By the way, I, I was going to do, we're out of time anyway. I was going to do some, I, I've thrown Ben Nicholson Smith, MLB trade rumors.com trivia at, at you before. And uh, man, I was, I was trying to go back to find, Hey, last time I asked you what your last one Jays related was, I was going to go back and try to find the first one, but you were too prolific there. There's just like an endless scroll of Ben Nicholson Smith <laughs> articles and their archive doesn't let you just like go back to the beginning. Uh, you're a machine, man. Or at least you were in 2013. Oh, I sure was. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Um, well, and before that, my first Jays post would have been like 2008. I think cool. that was like AJ Burnett. It was like Jays interested in BJ Ryan. It was like, it was like we're talking like a while ago now. Man, that's a what what a what a one to to have there too. And you, hey, rumors are he might come out to Slipknot. They're working on these LED boards <laughs> to have flames going around. Uh, man, that's a that's a throwback. Yeah, it is. Well, I await your next um, trivia question. I'll try to I'll try to do as well as I can with it. Absolutely. All right, Ben Nicholson Smith, uh, go back to bed and try to get like eight more hours sleep so you're on par with you, Kikuchi. Yeah, that's my that's a good idea actually. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll try that out. All right, uh, Ben Nicholson Smith of Sportsnet.ca. He was on the radio calls this weekend. You'll hear him again at some point on the radio calls with Ben Wagner as well. So the Brandon Belt update was that they're hoping he could get a rehab game in, but it's not necessary, and the timing might be too tight. If you were looking for other updates, uh, Danny Jansen is flying to Philly today to we think have the the cast removed to see continues working his way back. He will not be in the mix for regular season games, but who knows for the playoffs? Jamie Ritchie was called up from AAA uh, to be on the taxi squad. Kirk and Heineman are fine, but they want Richie learning the pitching staff just in case something comes up where they, they do need an additional catcher there. Adam Simber also got in a game at AAA yesterday. The Bisons lost, so they're four they're uh, four games out here with five games up. They're they're more or less done at this point. Um, Adam Simber not expected to be in the mix for the the major league Blue Jays either. He's just gonna kind of run out of time here on his rehab side. Who's here? is who they're running with unless Brandon Belt makes it back. Anyway, so um, the Vlad thing is worth keeping an eye on. We'll hear more about Kikuchi today for sure. Um, the Jays will throw Kevin Gosman against Michael King. We're going to take a break. When we come back, an idea people obviously threw out on Twitter when Yusei Kikuchi got hurt because Alec Manoa is not available and a bullpen day doesn't do it for some people. And the Jays have a really interesting pitching prospect. Some people threw out the idea, hey, Ricky Tiedemann's double-A season's done. He's supposed to pitch in triple-A this weekend. Why not just shoot him up to the majors? Now, the actual answer to that is stuff nobody cares to hear about, about managing the 40-man and having to burn a 40-man spot heading into the offseason and put him on the 40-man before you have to, before he, you necessarily need him. There are a lot of complications to that. It's also just a matter of, well, where is he at in his development? Is he ready for that? Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Jeff Ponce of Baseball America, who has seen a lot of that Fisher Cats team. We'll have the latest for us on Ricky Tiedemann. At the end of that season, we'll check in on Alan Roden, uh, Mason Fluherty, and a couple of other guys. Jeff Ponce joins us from New Hampshire. Well, not from New Hampshire, but from nearby New Hampshire. Next, as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, music today, well, some of the music today picked by producer Jeff Azaparty. Uh, this is his last day with us. Obviously, you've, well, not obviously, but some of you, if you've been listening or been on Twitter, have heard there's some lineup changes going on. We'll talk about those uh, at the end of the show. Nothing changing with Jay's Talk Plus until the Jays are done when there is no more talk or plus to be had. So maybe that's early November. Maybe that's early October. We'll see. We do know who's wrapped up already, and it's the New Hampshire Fisher Cats down at Double A. We've checked in with Jeff Ponce of Baseball America a handful of times after his terrific trip to the Dunedin Complex down in Florida, but he's also a regular around these Fisher Cats. He joins us now. Uh, Jeff, good morning. Uh, happy conclusion of the Double A season with the exception of the playoffs. Uh, what's up with you right now? Are we Arizona Fall League bound? Do you get a little time off? What's up with a prospect guy this time of year as minor league seasons wrap sure yeah so the the season is wrapped for me entirely uh in the northeast uh you know corner of uh the united states uh no more games up here we do have obviously some some uh games continuing in the in double a and a few other leagues um but they're all pretty far away from me so this point i'm uh i'm kind of home for the rest of the year you know we do our handbook in the off season so I have four teams, uh, three teams besides the Jays. I also do Astros coverage. I also do Rockies coverage and Cardinals. So, oh, Rockies. Um, I'm sorry, man. With that. <laughs> the prospects aren't so bad, though, to be honest. Well, it's, until uh, the Rockies get their hands on them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the hitting has been pretty good. Pitching is a, is a different story. You know, they're kind of uh, – the opposite of some of the other systems that I cover, but yeah, so I'll be, I'll be busy with that. And then uh, my kids play American football. So uh, I'll be busy with uh, kind of chaperoning them around and, you know, chauffeuring them from one field to the next. So that's, that's kind of what my ball tends to look like. Well, that's, it sounds like uh, it sounds like fun and you're in a good area for the, the nice fall weather here. Um, so yesterday we had uh, the manager of the Jays high a affiliate in Vancouver on the show, Brent LaValle, the Canadians won the championship there. We celebrated that a little bit. Um, now, look, it's good developmentally to play in those kind of close games and things like that. But we, realistically, about a minor league team, guys are getting promoted. Guys are focusing on developmental stuff. Do you put any stock at all into the Fisher Cats having a bit of a rough season as a team here? Or does that not move the needle for you whatsoever? Um, yeah, I, I do think to an extent when you look at the depth of this team this year, um, particularly once some of the graduations and promotions started to happen. Um, it wasn't maybe as strong as it's been in past years. I think especially when you go back to a year, maybe like a 2018 or, you know, before that when they've won some, some championships and some titles up there and had some really loaded teams that turned into um, a core of very good major leaguers uh, for the Blue Jays as well. Uh, in Vladimir Jr., um, Bo Bichette, Gavin Biggio, you know, at the time, Lourdes Guriel was in there for a little bit. So, it's a different look. Um, I do think there were talented players that came there throughout the year. Uh, probably unfortunate circumstances in terms of how Ricky Tiedemann's season played out. Uh, you know, I think if he is a force, he's probably uh, a big part of them winning some more games early on in the first half of the season. Maybe qualifying for the playoffs with that first half team, the header was Martinez and some other really talented players. And then in the second half, you know, I think you just you had that natural progression of 
um, players that have pushed their way up um, to AAA, guys that graduated to majors. And, you know, the backfield maybe just wasn't as talented um, as, it, as it has been. Uh, so I don't think it's, it's too much of a concern. I do think the bullpen was pretty good down the stretch. Um, they had some good starters. They also traded away two of their best starters at the trade deadline yes. in Semmer Bursey and, you know, Adam Klausenstein, who are having very good seasons. Uh, so that, that certainly hurt a little bit as well. But I think there were some positives to take away from the final two months and, and how some of the players played. You mentioned Ricky Tiedemann there. I do want to get into some of the, the performances in the last couple months here, but Ricky Tiedemann's the highlight item for, for any Jays fan who, who's looking at prospect stuff. Um, you know, not the, the best of finishes at double A. He's still only at 40 innings in actual league ball for this season because of the biceps issues and how they've, you know, been cautious with him there. He's headed to triple A now. Obviously there's we're at a time for the triple a season two. He's going to get one start here to you. Is this just a matter of, Hey, see how he does and get him a taste of the level he's going to be at next year. Just, just increasing the innings. And, and I guess to the innings point, is he a guy you'd expect announced for Arizona fall league? Yeah, I do anticipate that Ricky will probably uh, participate in Arizona fall league. Um, it would just make sense just on how the season has gone. Um, I can't speak to how he'll be deployed out there. If it will be similar to what we saw from like a Tink Hence last year, where he really just threw an inning uh, and came out of the bullpen and sort of just worked in his command and the secondary stuff, et cetera. Um, if they're just looking for that and for him to kind of hone in his command, which I think has been an issue here since he's returned to double a, uh, I think it would make a lot of sense um, if they're looking to build him up for more, three or four inning sort of appearances, which is very similar to like how Mason Miller was handled last year by the athletics in the Arizona fall league. I think that makes sense as well. So there's a couple of different avenues. It just, we'll see how cautious they proceed with him. Um, but I do anticipate just how the season has gone. He seems like a prime candidate for the Arizona fall league, but we don't have any uh, assurances that he's going to be there at this point. Um, you know, I haven't heard anything on or off the record that he's <laughs> going to be there. So um, we'll see. I, you know, I think that when we look at this, and, and I will say it seems as if the announcement on fall league rosters has gone a little bit later than it typically has. So there's a lot of speculation out there. And I think Ricky is one name that's been speculated sort of across the board as a guy that could end up there. Um, and, I, you know, I think just kind of wrapping into a season, the stuff is still there. Um, we saw it last year. We see it in spurts this year when he made the jump from low a to double a, I, I think that the commands, um, and it not being as sharp as it had been was really heightened. Um, as guys, you know, hit the ball hard off of, off of Tiedemann, um, and were able to lay off of some of the other stuff that I think guys were swinging at, uh, when he was just dominating low a coming back off of the injury. So, I think it's a big part of it. Uh, if you look at his performance over these seven appearances, seven starts, um, he's allowed an earned run in all but two. He's allowed a run in six of the seven. Um, and the walks have just been, you know, not typical for, for Ricky Tiedemann, the guy that we saw last year that, you know, pushed his way up the minor leagues and looked like one of the top five pitching prospects in the game. Um, the stuff is still there. He still has moments where he can dominate. Uh, it wasn't all bad, 
But uh, I, I do think that there is still, you know, some concern just in terms of the command and, you know, how much the injury had impacted uh, his ability to sort of land in the spots that he needs to land. Which makes sense. You know, you'd have to expect that a little bit. In terms of those Arizona Fall League rosters, they came out September 16th last year. So maybe we're looking at a, a Friday news dump this week as well. I uh, want to ask you about a couple other guys with this double-A New Hampshire team. Um, a guy you and I have talked about a couple of times Third round pick last year, Alan Roden uh, moved pretty quickly. Now he's a little older for the levels he started at. He, he's you know over the twenty three and a half mark, so it's not a you know not a, a crazy big age and level gap. But Roden's a guy who had a terrific start at high A this year, was hitting three twenty, got the bump, and basically didn't lose a step at all with the higher level of competition. Um, hit three ten over fifty games or so with New Hampshire, even showed a, a little bit more power than he had at high A. Uh, what do you like about where Alan Roden finished the season? Yeah, and this is a guy that um, I got eyes on in the Cape prior to the draft and was somebody who was, you know, a senior sign that had a lot of buzz in, in terms of scouts were on him. He was going to go in the top three to four rounds of the draft. You saw a guy like Brandon Williamson sort of do something similar this year on the Cape and then go in the second round of the Mariners. Um, the skills are great. You know, it's a left-handed bat uh, with great approach, great contact, which is a great um, sort of skill set to build a profile off of. It's not that different from Spencer Horwitz or, Davis Schneider, and I know that we've talked about, uh, you know, Roden before, and I've invoked those names. And I do think it's very similar in terms of the Blue Jays do a really good job of identifying guys after rounds one or two with these sort of profiles where uh, they have a high level of bat-to-ball ability. Um, they make really strong swing decisions. They're not chasing out of the zone. They're keeping a tight zone. Uh, and there's more power projection in the body and swing. And we started to see that start to play out over the last two months. Um, you look at the last 36 games, just the sample from August 1st until the end of the season. Roden hit 321, the good batting average we know about. 415, we know about the on-base percentage. 493 slug, he had six doubles and six home runs over that period, drove in 19 as well. Um, if that starts to develop, even if he's an average power hitter, the other skills are so developed. And unlike Horwitz or, or, or Schneider, there's not much defensive question. He's a good corner outfielder, whether he plays in right or left. He's fine. He can move pretty well. He's a better athlete than I think people expect. He's got a really good arm, one of the, the better outfield throwing arms in the Blue Jays organization. He's a re really well-rounded player and seems like somebody that could be in the mix in the second half or even late next season if I would assume probably goes to AAA next year to start the, start the year. Kits there. It wouldn't shock me if there's injuries or an opportunity if he ends up, uh, you know, potentially seeing 200, 300 plate appearances in that outfield next year. He's just that advanced as a hitter. Um, you know, we've seen guys like Nolan Chanuel who have a similar profile. Roden may have showed more power at this point, and he's actually more valuable defensively. We've seen how quickly he he's assimilated to uh, and acclimated to pro pitching to an extent. I think Roden is just as is just as skilled and is more tooled up than Shanuel. So he's a guy that I do think is going to continue to climb up these ranks as legitimate prospects that maybe people aren't talking about. I think he had a top 30, top 25 season in terms of WRC plus for qualified hitters in the minor leagues as well. Um, Alan Roden had, had a standout season. 
Yeah, he's he's been the guy that I've gotten most excited about reading at Baseball America, talking to you, you know, ch- checking in on the on the stat lines every once in a while. Um, a name who kept coming up on the stat lines when I checked the New Hampshire box score this last month, and maybe he's not as exciting because he's going to be 26 this offseason. And, and yeah, he was a fourth round pick in uh, in 2019, but not really on the prospect radar. Will Robertson hit 10 home runs over the last month of action for New Hampshire. Um, anytime I see a guy who's 25 going on 26 in double a i wonder how much of it is just well you're older than all these guys you're repeating the level uh, but 10 home runs in a month is 10 home runs in a month uh what did you make of will robertson's strong close to the double a season yeah it was good to see um you know this is a guy that's even as an amateur there there was um some pedigree you know when he went in the fourth round i think people thought there was you know future plus power projection there um, the swing and miss is still really concerning. You know, I think it was probably just the hot streak, um, but he's a name that deserves to be called out. I think he probably ends up in AAA next year. Um, and it's enough power. This is one of those profiles that sometimes these guys make adjustments in an off season. And, you know, at 26, 27, 28 years old, um, you know, they turn out to be an up and down guy, which, can provide value here and there. Um, that wouldn't shock me with Robertson. You know, we do see that with players like this, um, you know, different player, but a guy that has a similar profile and like Luke and Baker with the Cardinals, you know, he had one of the best minor league years this year and older prospect guy with big power. There were some strikeout issues before some, you know, some approach concerns. And if Robertson is maybe able to make that adjustment and sort of balance it a little bit, um, it wouldn't be a total shock if, you know, he's a guy that's maybe a, a depth piece for the Blue Jays this year or somebody that, that they could or in 24 or somebody that they can send out, you know, as a secondary piece to get a reliever or something like that. Um, it's kind of an interesting, an interesting profile just because that there is plus power there. I just don't know how much he's going to hit. The swing and miss is uh, still, you know, pretty concerning. He had 37 strikeouts over 31 games while he was hitting those 10 home runs over the last couple of months. That's a tough one, and I was going to stay on New Hampshire, but since you mentioned the swing and miss stuff and we're talking about a power profile, uh, I know that even though you're you're Northeast based, you're keeping an eye on that, on how these guys do when they're graduated, and the Jays are your team at Baseball America. So, uh, curious what you thought of Aurelvis Martinez. Obviously a bit of an adjustment period when he first gets to AAA. Uh, A couple games left to go here, but he's another guy. Nine home runs over the last six weeks or so we've seen the batting average come up after a tough dip obviously some swing and miss there but Aurelvis Martinez on kind of the other end of what we just talked about with Robertson he's still only 21 at AAA and hey the power's there and maybe the swing and miss is still high but the walk rate's decent enough certainly compared to uh, compared to last year is Aurelvis someone you could see also getting in the mix next year based on the way he's closed this year yeah, I absolutely think so. And uh, we saw, you know, I, I, we saw a tremendous amount of growth um, from an approach standpoint with or Elvis. There is some swing and miss there, um, but I think he does a good job of mitigating it with swing decisions. And, you know, for a guy who's been billed as this huge strikeout guy, he's never had a season where he's had a, uh, a strikeout rate above 28.5%. And that was last season where he had his worst year of his career as a 20-year-old where he hit 30 home runs <laughs> in double-A but hit 203. Uh, we saw such a tremendous growth in terms of the types of pitches that Aurelvis was swinging at. And I think the thing with him that he needed to get over was 
early on in his career, his power at the point of contact and just the quality of his contact when he does make contact is so good. And I do think that there are some contact skills there that he was just so used to being able to swing at everything and do damage that he had to sort of learn that once you get against advanced pitchers, you can't swing at everything. And, you know, you got to play the game a little bit. He started to do that, you know, even going up to triple a, that the walk rate still stayed fairly high at an above average rate. Um, the batting average numbers were, were much better this year. Uh, I just think he became a much more complete hitter and didn't sacrifice any of the power. Um, and you see how he finished, you know, over the last couple of months of the year um, at a high level as a 21 year old, as somebody who maybe isn't a standout defender, but he does play the infield and has continued to play the infield his entire career. Maybe he's not a shortstop, but I do think he's got the ability to maybe play third base, second base, move around a little bit. Um, and has enough defensive chops that it's not going to kill you while providing, you know, a really exciting and robust sort of offensive profile. So um, with or Elvis, I, I think he could be in the mix next year. You know, I think he'll probably finally hit that 30% strikeout threshold mm. in the majors early. But he's 21 years old. He doesn't turn 22 until November. He's going to be 22 all of next year. I think when you take a step back and you really look at his minor league career, a uh, guy that obviously, you know, started and missed some time in 2020, like a lot of players did, but it was at a pivotal point in his career. And then they kind of rushed him up the double A. He really settled in this year and made huge strides, and he looks like he could be an impact major league hitter. I don't think he's a consistent all-star, but I do think he's a guy that could have years where, you know, he's got a 890 OPS and 30 pumps, and that guy hits, you know, sixth or seventh in your lineup behind a really strong top of the order. That's valuable. Oh, and with especially Matt Chapman, at second base or third base, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see where Chapman ends up next year and how that all plays out. Um, and, you know, being able to at least replicate and replace some of the power that Chapman gives you, obviously without the quality of defense, is a different story. But that's still, that's still pretty important. So we'll see. We'll see if the Jays think that he's ready uh, for the show next year because he is a 40-man roster guy. Uh, so there's not any big moves or anything that really need to be made to get him onto the active roster. That's uh, that's exciting to hear. Uh, Jeff, I had some pitchers that I wanted to pick your brain on, but we're running short on time here. So I, I know there are a couple. Sure. We, we talked to Chad Dallas before, so let's maybe leave him aside. But there are a couple relievers at both AA and AAA who had decent closes this season. I'll, I'll leave it. Guest's choice here. Uh, an interesting arm that you saw down the stretch for AA or AAA who you think Jays fans should have on their radar. Yeah, I think, I think Mason Flaherty is arguably one of the better relief prospects in the game. Um, you know, somebody that I saw quite a bit, but even talking to, you know, outside evaluators and opposing scouts, um, analysts on the data side, this is a name that consistently comes up as, you know, being one of the better players in arms, potentially long-term um, in the blue Jays system. I don't think he's going to start, uh, but was valuable down the stretch and, you know, could be a guy that, you know, develops into um, a strong relief arm for them, maybe even as early as the middle of next year. Uh, they have a lot of good relievers here in the upper minors, um, you know, between, you know, Hayden Younger and um, Zuleta, you know, TJ Brock, Flaherty, Connor Cook, who we talked about before. And a lot of them have signature pitches, which, you know, I think the thing with Flaherty is he has this sweepy mid-80s, uh, slider that, you know, is his primary pitch and is, is frankly an easy plus pitch. 
Nice. That's uh, that's exciting to see some decent strikeout rates there as well. And like you mentioned, still on the, the younger side as well, just turned 22. So yeah, a name I'll look for on the AAA roster next year, maybe seeing some, some lefty relief opportunities in spring training as well. Uh, Jeff Ponce. Thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Really appreciate uh, all the contribution you've given to Jays Talk Plus this year around that New Hampshire team and the Jays system in general. And best of luck to your kids in uh, the upcoming football season. Yeah, absolutely. And my youngest is a huge Blue Jays fan and awesome. Guerrero Jr. fan. Just had his birthday and uh, got an autographed flat ball. So we're, we're cheering for a World Series in this house. Unbelievable. Uh, awesome. Jeff Ponce of Baseball America. Make sure you guys keep an eye out as well in the offseason, and, and we'll pump it on Twitter and things like that. But the Baseball America uh, Prospect Handbook, Jeff, like he told us, there are a couple, a couple organizations fall under his umbrella, but the Blue Jays, uh, one of those as well. So all of the talks we've had with Jeff over the year, you will get them in greater detail in the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. Uh, some fun stuff there about the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, and man, that's a good Aurelvis scouting report when you, uh, you know, obviously there's there's always the risk of scouting the stat line, and you see, hey, the average isn't that bad, the strikeout rates come down a little bit, walk rate's solid, the power is there, you start to get excited, and then you have someone whose entire job is to be level-headed about these things, being like, oh no, no, he's a, he's a guy, he's a, a guy soon. So that's exciting, also relevant as the Jays look at, hey, what does this offseason look like? There are couple holes there Matt Chapman's spot might be up for grabs via free agency or internal competition because Matt Chapman's a free agent is he a future Yankee I don't know it makes some sense let's take a break let's talk to Keith McPherson of WFAN in New York uh, one of my absolute favorite New York media personalities he's going to join us next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, the New York Yankees are not the best team in New York right now, even if they are a little bit above 500 and still only seven games out of the wild card. Uh, the best team in New York is our New York Liberty. Keith McPherson of WFAN 660 and host of Bleacher Report joins us now to talk mostly about the Yankees. Keith, though, before we get Yankees, uh, Liberty head into the semifinals. How you feeling? <laughs> hey, first off, thanks for having me. I like the uh, Nas and Lil Wayne on the rejoin and yeah, I was talking about the Liberty last night. I feel like New Yorkers act like the uh, Liberty are not really a New York team. They are, and we're in a drought and I think they're on their way to ending the playoff drought or not playoff drought, the championship drought and having a parade in this city. I'm all for it. Yeah. They're not in Westchester anymore. They're, they're New York proper now. And if you could survive that game, Natasha cloud had, I think you're in uh you're in okay shape. A lot of work left to be done. Um, those games look like a blast. Have you gotten down to many? I was saying last night, I've been invited to some, but they always play when the Yankees play. I, I can't go to the game when the Yankees are playing in the Bronx or when the Yankees are playing on the road because I got to be on air to talk about the Yankees. So uh, it, it kind of double dips with my baseball fandom. I haven't been there to see them live, but I go to a lot of Nets games and a lot of the Nets fans double as New York Liberty fans. Mikel Bridges is at all of the yeah. games, a Nets player. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, them playing in Barclays Center, 
I have an eye on it through social media. Well, here's a, here's a little treat for you is the, the finals don't begin until October 8th. And I, I think Keith, we could pretty safely say the Yankees won't be playing still come, <laughs> come the finals. So you, you can get some games in uh, then it'll fit right in before the nets pick up uh, as well. Y- Yankee side of things, Keith. Um, look, I know they're only seven out. They came into this series six out. W- was anyone really biting on the pump fake of like, Hey, a really good, strong two weeks here could get them in or, or writing bit on the wall too long. Oh, of course. I take calls every night in New York City where someone's believing there's still a chance and uh, they'll look at fan graphs and it'll be a (laughs) 0.5% chance and that counts as still a chance. Um, What I've been saying is they they don't sweep teams and it's too little too late and there's so many games that the Yankees were either walked off or lost by one run or had the lead and blew it where they're going to look back on this season and say we probably could have been a wild card team but we didn't win those close games. We didn't win those games that we had the lead um, too many of those this year. This has been a miserable season for the New York Yankees. Yeah, you used the term miserable on the radio the other day, and, and I wanted to dig in on that a, a little bit more. I mean, I guess on the positive side, and you can tell me if this is something that's lowering the bar too much because the Yan- the bar for the Yankees is, is excellence at World Series and things like that. Haven't finished under 500 since the early 90s. Um, but Keith, the, the fact that, there are a lot of young guys getting some extended run here, getting to audition a little bit for potential roles next year. Does that do much for the Yankees fan base? Or, or again, is the bar way too high to, to appreciate, Hey, Austin Wells is getting a chance here and guys like that. No, uh, we get to see the Martian, the Martian lands. Jason Dominguez was great for a couple weeks and then he gets hurt. That's another thing. The miserable mm-hmm. season is wrapped in injuries. The judge injury You know, Judge stays healthy all last year to hit 62. They give him the big money, and he gets hurt twice. He has the hip injury, then he runs into the wall in Dodger Stadium, and that threw the season off. Um, Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo gets concussed. Fernando Tatis Jr. steps back to the bag and knocks his head, and the guy goes on to have two of the worst months, the literal two worst months of his career. And everybody's wondering, is he still concussed? Is he all right? Comes out that he had a concussion in post concussion syndrome um Nestor Cortez a guy that was an all-star for us last year he goes on the IL he comes back for one game against the Astros they win that game he throws the hardest pitch of his career he's back on the IL and then there's just a bunch of other things like IKF who was the shortstop last year he he turns into a utility player this year they use him in six different positions and he pitched uh Josh Donaldson and Aaron Hicks who fans were saying we can't have these guys in the lineup we can't go into the season with them what happens to those those guys? They play terrible for the Yankees. They end up being DFA'd, put on waivers. And this Yankee season, I, I can't wait for it to end. Coming <laughs> off of a trip to the ALCS last year, nobody expected this. No, it's tough. And it's, uh, you know, you got to squint a little bit to see what next season's going to look like for this team. Obviously, like we said, there are some young guys making auditions. We know Anthony Volpe is going to be in there. We, we know once he's healthy, uh, Jason Dominguez should be in the mix there somewhere. But there are also a lot of question marks on the pitching side. Uh, you mentioned Frankie Montes is on his way out, potentially Luis Severino, uh, Middleton and Peralta out of the bullpen. Um, how much... like is the writing on the wall with those guys and and new homes like how much turnover are we expecting on the rotation side given that they've had to you know patchwork this together and yeah Schmidt and King have been you know better than probably anyone could have reasonably uh, asked them to be given where they were to start the season but there it feels like there is a a lot a lot a lot of work to be done on the pitching side this offseason 
Yeah, Frankie Montas, that's going to go down as one of the worst trades Brian Cashman has made in recent years. And it was all because he had to pivot off of not getting Luis Castillo. And he kind of defaulted into Frankie Montas. He pitched a couple games at the end of last year. We didn't see him at all this year. Um, Luis Severino, he's definitely pitched his last pitch as a New York Yankee. He's definitely thrown his last pitch as a New York Yankee. And he got hurt. Uh, he still had a couple more games to try and build this case for another team. But I just don't think there's any way they bring Severino back. He's always been hurt. Uh, he he was a guy that we thought was going to be a homegrown ace, never really lived up to it. Um, Carlos Rodon has struggled. That was the other big signing. You pay Judge, you go out and get Carlos Rodon. He misses half the season, and when he comes in, he's not good. He's 50-50. He's you get a good start, you get a bad start. You know, Nestor Cortez, I mentioned, being out of the rotation for most of the year after being an all-star. This whole, this whole season is Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is about to win the AL Cy Young. Uh, hopefully you guys take it easy on him. I think <laughs> you'll face him. You'll face him in the Bronx and Toronto. Hopefully you guys don't mess up his ERA too much. But um, Michael Michael King and, and Clark Schmidt they've been bright spots, but they project into next year. This year uh, is just a it's just a wasted year when you have a, a Aaron Judge AL MVP turn captain. You have Garrett Cole about to win the AL Cy Young. You have guys that you thought were in their prime like DJ LeMayu, Anthony Rizzo, John Carlos Stanton, and it seems like. You know, they had down years and they're aging. I'm not sure about next year, but I know Brian Cashman has to do his greatest work because <laughs> the fan base is ready to fire him and replace him with literally anyone. <laughs> um, yeah, and you mentioned Garrett Cole. Look, he's he's thrown 11 and two-thirds shutout against the Jays this year, so uh, who knows? May, maybe he's got their number or maybe that that evens out and comes back to earth. We'll see. Um, so in terms of the work Cashman has to do, obviously on the hitter side, you know, there's only so much you can do when you have so much payroll Owed. And I look at a guy like Giancarlo Stanton, who at one point was like the most exciting hitter in baseball. He's the reason they invented baseball savant to, to track his exit velocities and stuff like that. He has four years and 118 million left on this deal. Um, when it comes to the Yankees fandom side, and I, I ask you this more than anyone, because I know you take the calls and things like that. Um, it's been a couple years. He's had a couple good seasons, but this version of Giancarlo looking down four years and 118 million still has has the fan base kind of turned on him, soured on him? What is the temperature on, on Stanton with the, the Yankees right now? Yeah, I think it's like 75% of the fan base has turned on him. They're ready to move on. The other 25% holds on to what he's done in the postseason, and they say, well, if you could get the guy to the postseason, you know what he's going to do in the postseason. He's going to hit homers. <laughs> he's been clutch. And I'm like, well, um, we're not going to the postseason this year. <laughs> And he's struggled. He's hit under 200. He hasn't had the power. And again, he was hurt. He always has a soft tissue injury. He had a hamstring injury. A couple years ago, it was a quad, a calf. And uh, when you look at the signing in 2017, that offseason, the Yankees got to game seven of the ALCS. They were a game away from the World Series. And in that offseason, there were some clear needs. But they tried to make the big evil empire move and go get the National League MVP and John Carlos Stanton, and it was a redundant move. You already had a muscle-bound right fielder who could hit over 50 home runs in Aaron Judge. So here we are now. This guy can barely run the bases, and I don't know if, if his muscles are just shot, if they're telling him, hey, don't run too hard because we don't want to lose you. I mean, at this point in the season, right, you guys saw him last night. There's nothing to lose, so he should be hustling. He should be going hard. I don't think he has it. I think, uh, you know, the muscles and the age have caught up to him. And it sucks because he's got a no trade clause. I don't think he's going anywhere. Nobody wants him. I think if they're able to get rid of him, which 
I don't think they're going to be able to not not next year, maybe in a couple of years. They're going to have to eat some money, maybe trade him and attach a, a prospect. But I still don't even think that. I think he finishes his career as a Yankee, and they just got to find ways to not have him in the lineup every day. He can't really play the outfield. He's not fast. And then, you know, when you DH him, depending on the pitching matchup, it's it's a waste of the DH spot when you have so many other guys you could put there. That's a, that's a tough situation there. And obviously again, Giancarlo at his best, it was so, so much fun. And yeah, it was the evil empire move, but it was also terrifying if you're someone looking over at the Yankees. Um, so that one, you, you mentioned watching him yesterday. I have to ask you, so there was a double play ball hit and Glaber Torres like ran through second base and just kept running. Like he was going to left field. And I went back and looked and the Yankees have done this a couple times, I guess, to like disrupt the second baseman or the shortstop on the transfer, just to kind of throw them off. Have you noticed that? What's going on there? Yeah, I don't know. I saw Estevan Florial do that last week, too. I, I'm guessing they're being coached to do that. Yeah, it's a weird one. It doesn't matter, man. This team <laughs> is a dead team walk-in. Whatever they're doing out there, I don't I don't know. You know, I, I have no explanation for that. <laughs> I, I understand, like, trying to slide hard into second and disrupt the throw, but the sprinting through second base, like, it's first base. Like, that's something that the Yankees have started doing recently, and I, I, I would guess that it's uh, – Aaron Boone or Sean Casey <laughs> telling them to do that. Uh, it's a bit of an odd one. Uh, okay. So in, in terms of free agency, what this Yankees team could do, look, there is a lot of money owed to position players. There are some interesting young guys. Um, we've seen Oswald Peraza play a lot of third base for this team hitting the bottom third. He's a young guy, but a name that, and maybe this is an evil empire move again of spending money where it's maybe not the Matt chat. Yeah. That's where I'm going, man, because this is not a good free agent market. The Jays are in a spot where they'll definitely give Chapman the qualifying offer, but I don't know that there's a, like the Jays have a number of third base prospects coming up and they're, they've spent more this year than they've ever spent before. I don't, I don't know that a long-term deal there is going to make sense. Is Chapman a guy you you'd want the Yankees to make a run at? Sure. I don't think they will. Uh, I mean, if this guy has a great postseason run for you, his price tag's only going to be higher. I don't think they will. That's the thing about the Yankees. They're in a little bit of a identity crisis these last few years. They'll spend on a John Carlos Stanton, give it a couple years, spend on Garrett Cole, give it a couple years, have to spend to keep Aaron Judge, but they've passed on so many free agents like a Bryce Harper who wanted to be a Yankee. They didn't even call him. Manny Machado wanted to be a Yankee. They didn't have, never got there with him. Uh, there's been so many different guys that they've passed on through the years. Kyle Schwarber, we thought, would have been a good fit for Yankee Stadium. Uh, Cody Bellinger, they should have signed Cody Bellinger last year before he went to the Cubs. They've been neglecting left field for years now. We've had a cast of characters in left field. I don't think they make the big move to go out and get Chapman and, and get Bellinger and get Yashinobo, Yamamoto, you know what I'm saying? And Shohei. <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna spend like that anymore because uh they they wanna they wanna pretend like they're the richest team in baseball, but not act like it, not use their superpower, which that was always the Yankee superpower. If there was a need, they could go out and buy the best player available uh to fit the need. And now they wanna do things like make trades for Josh Donaldson or sign a guy like IKF. And, you know, they love playing guys out of position and <laughs> hugging prospects. And they've hugged these prospects. And now it's time for them to play. Like you mentioned, Peraza. Peraza's probably going to play. He's been playing third base. I wouldn't be surprised if they let him compete for that job in spring training and, and let him be the guy because he's here. Yeah, it's a, it's tough to to balance that, and you know the Yankees uh, 
the Yankees haven't always stuck to the plan, the logical way you're laying it out there, right? It's uh, what's the new shining thing? Hey, is there pressure to win again? Uh, it's It'll be interesting uh, to watch how that plays out. Keith, before I let you go, I'm a basketball guy too. I'll, I'll switch over to Raptors when Jays are done. I know you do kind of the same with the Brooklyn Nets. You mentioned Mikhail Bridges earlier. He nearly... Uh, I don't know, man. He nearly went into enemy territory in the FIBA World Cup, hitting that buzzer-beating three to send the Canada <laughs> game to OT. Uh, where are yeah. you at on, on this year's Nets team? Bridges is uh, a ton of fun. I think we're going to get a look at him in a, in a bigger role here. But are the Nets going to be good or just kind of fun and interesting? I think the Nets are going to get back to the culture that they had before they went the superstar route of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden and even Ben Simmons. What is Ben Simmons going to be? If you follow social media, Ben Simmons is ready to go. He's working out. He's ready for a comeback. But I don't think it's going to be about him. I, I think the Brooklyn Nets are a sneaky team this year. I don't think they're going to be great. But do I think they can make the playoffs as an eighth seed, seventh seed? Sure. I, I think that they have a few sneaky players that they've signed, like a Lonnie Walker, like a Dennis Smith Jr. Um, they they just signed uh, Harry Giles. Like they, yeah. they have some sneaky players that if they come together under Jacques Vaughn, who is just a good basketball mind, a basketball coach, um, along with Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson and Spencer Dinwiddie and Nick Claxton, uh, they have some veterans and they have some pieces. It's not a young team. It's a team that I think is going to get back to the scrappy Brooklyn grit type of basketball that they had before they went and, uh, you know, sold their souls to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I guess when Kevin Durant says, I want to come here, you kind of got to do it. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the previous style of Brooklyn Nets basketball a lot more. You just laid out a, a bunch of fun young guys there. Uh, so I guess, Keith, probably not a lot of meaningful Jays-Yankees baseball next week, but maybe we'll chat again for the Liberty in, in the championship. And if not, hey, I'll see you in the play-in game, Raptors-Nets 7-8 seed or something like that. <laughs> Hey, thanks for having me. We'll uh, look forward to that in the future. Keith McPherson, uh, WFAN 660 in U.S., host at Bleacher Report as well. Uh, make sure you're giving him a follow. Tons of good Yankees stuff. Uh, New York sports all around. Warning, though, he's a Cowboys fan, so you see a lot of Cowboys tweets in there as well. But uh, a lot of fun talking to Keith. We're going to take a break here. And tagging Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. One of our favorite guys to talk to uh, had a look. David Schneider's cold right now. We did last week. Everyone wrote the positive David Schneider pieces about how cool his start was. Ben Clemens was among those. We'll see where he's at with David Schneider. Um, you know, after this O of 23 stretch here, Ben also had a, a couple of interesting pieces that are Blue Jays adjacent. Go up this week, a, a look at Isak Paredes of the Tampa Bay Rays and, and some cool pulling the ball in the air data. I know whenever anyone's struggling, that's the that's the first thing you look at. Are they pulling the ball in the air? Should you do that more? There are some guys who can do that and cover off other parts of the plate and the field. There are some guys who, if they're pulling the ball in the air, like we discussed with Kevin Biggio yesterday and some of his swing and approach changes that takes other stuff off the table. Uh, we'll also take a look at the American league playoff race, because as usual, despite the Baltimore Orioles having the best record in the American league, going 10 and three against the blue Jays, et cetera, the Fangraphs odds don't love the Baltimore Orioles. Still, they're still not buying in. Now those are, there is no subjectivity there. The odds aren't looking at these players and being like, you know what? I just don't like John Means as a dude. I don't like the way he looks up there. But there's something going on in the numbers. We're here two years into the Baltimore Orioles being better than we expected that the numbers still aren't buying into them. Ben Clemens wrote about that. We'll pick his brain on that, and uh, we'll see if the Jays can make the playoffs. 
Should a Jays fan be rooting for the Rays to top the Orioles? Should you be only looking at WC3 and a matchup with the Twins? We'll see how Ben Clemens feels about all of that as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Toronto Blue Jays in a decent spot for the wildcard race right now. They are a game up. They're in wildcard two. If they win seven games in their final 11, they're assured of a playoff spot. Now, maybe they can get in without winning seven games, but we know at this point you win seven, you're in there because Texas and Seattle play each other so much. Now, say they sweep the Yankees here and you're like, ah, well, they'll win five over the last uh, the last nine here. No problem. You start thinking that way. You might start looking ahead to who that wildcard matchup could be. Well, if you're wildcard three, you get the Twins. If you're wildcard two, you might get the Rays or Orioles. This year, the Jays have lost to the Orioles a lot. Maybe that scares you. Certainly going down to the trop uh, scares you. But what the fan graphs postseason odds might suggest to you are that, hey, you shouldn't be all that scared of the Baltimore Orioles, or should you be? Ben Clemens of Fangraphs investigated just that. He joins us now. Ben, good morning, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Blake? Uh, I'm good. So what's the deal here, man? I, I know this piece went up like after I went on air, so I only saw the headline and read the first paragraph or so, <laughs> but I can guess because every time I look at those things, I'm like, huh, so the Orioles are really good, but Fangraph still doesn't buy it, not, at least not to the level of, say, the Rays or the Astros in the American League. Uh, what gives? Is this just the, the over-regression to young players? Is there a, a fatal flaw in the Orioles we're not seeing here? What, what's going on? You know, it's interesting because I kind of came in expecting that. that that's what it was last year, mm-hmm. you know? It was just that they were playing over their heads. And so I thought, oh, like, it's just going to be the same thing again. And basically I wrote this because, yeah, I looked at it and I was like, this is not good. Like, we, sh- we shouldn't be publishing this. <laughs> um, and I have to tell you, upon looking at it a lot and really banging my head into all the numbers, I, I'm pretty close to, to buying what we're selling. Let me, let me break it down to you in two parts. Sure. One is their offense. And their offense has been really good this year. It's been, like, by batting average on base percentage and slugging percentage and base running like a top 10 offense, probably back of the top 10 because they've got some holes, but it's been good. It's been unquestionably a very good offense despite playing in a pretty tough ballpark. So we, we adjust for all that. Um, they've also scored runs like a top three or four offense. I guess they're fifth in runs or they're sixth in runs now after, uh, and they're catching the Astros fairly quickly. So they've scored runs better than they've actually played. And a lot of that is because they've been incredibly good with runners in scoring position. They oh, lead the we know. batting average. Oh, we've taken a look at how teams do with runners in scoring position. Exactly. Uh, it was the story of the Blue Jays season until the start of August. Exactly. And so the Jays are a great example. It was the story of their season. And then later it wasn't, yeah. you know, then, then it just kind of went back to average ish. And I think there's a lot of that going on with the Orioles where, if in your head they're a juggernaut offense, you're probably a little too high on them because they're like a good offense who's also been getting lucky. Eh, getting lucky is un- is a bad way to say it. Like these guys are good. They're they're not 
that's not fake. And honestly, we project them to do just as well in batting average, in slugging percentage, and on base percentage the rest of the year as they have been all year. We think they're good. Like This is a good team at this point. You can't say, oh, it's rookies playing over their heads. They're basically all playing to projections. Good team. Um, probably not going to keep scoring runs like a top five team. They're probably not going to keep putting up eight on the Astros every day. So, but honestly, we still think their offense is quite good. The pitching side is a little trickier, and it basically comes down to the fact that they don't have Felix Batista. He's, he's so important to what they do. I, I calculated that he's worth like nearly 2.2 uh, 2 of ERA just by himself on their team ERA. And I think it's like 0.16 or something right now. Just, just from replacing that guy with like another decent reliever. He's just been that good, and he pitched that many innings before getting hurt. And so I think there's a little disconnect there because you look at the Orioles' run prevention so far this year, and you're like, oh, it looks pretty good, and it does not look fluky. But if they don't have like arguably the best reliever in baseball, it just makes them worse. And that's really what it comes down to. I think we're probably a little too low on them, but not that. I don't think we're too low by a lot. Like, if it weren't for the fact that they had a buy, I think I would like both the Jays and Rays' chances ahead of them in the playoffs because those teams haven't lost one of their most important contributors in the last month. No, the Rays lost, like, three of their most important contributors early in the year and just shrugged it off. Just no, no big deal uh, whatsoever. Yeah. And then the Jays are coming in here. Is, yeah, yeah uh, the Jays are coming in here, you know, as as healthy as you could hope to be this time of year, really. But to your point about the offense, for, for anyone who hasn't checked the numbers recently, uh, you know, the Jays are one point of batting average below the Orioles. So point zero zero one. They have a better on base percentage are a little behind in slugging, but then we control for park factors and all that. And they are identical to the Orioles in weighted runs, created plus, and basically any catch all we do for offense, except for runs where they've scored like almost a hundred fewer. Uh, it's a, it's a weird thing to navigate that those offenses profile is very similar, except one scored a hundred runs more. Um, I'm curious, Ben on yeah. the pitching side, when you look at the Orioles, and you mentioned Felix Bautista, it's a, it's a huge thing, obviously. He was maybe the best closer in baseball before he went down. He's certainly the most intimidating closer in baseball uh, to see him on the mound, uh, and I'd imagine for a, a hitter as well. When you look at this team, the Orioles, I mean, um, you know, let's let's say they win the division, so they don't have to worry about a, a three-game optimization in the wild card, but they have to look at an ALDS rotation that you're probably cutting at the four guys. And they're a team that has six starters and that's with one of their starters uh, already having moved to uh, the bullpen as triple a depth in Tyler Wells. Um, what do you make of that? Because they're kind of a, you know, they're, Look, some of these guys could be very, very good in the playoffs, but we've heard that some of these guys like a Grayson Rodriguez are coming up against career highs and in innings. John means is just back from uh, a long-term injury and they have a lot of guys who profiles like yeah good number four guys um that's really really important to winning 95 or 100 games over 162 how does that translate for you in a playoff series and does that affect your confidence level in the orioles being as good as they've been in the regular season in a postseason series you know i thought i was going to care a lot about that when i started thinking about their postseason chances and it turns out I, I care a little less after looking okay. into it a little bit more. I really like Kyle Bradish. I think he's just good. Uh, I think he's an excellent starter. And I think they're going to find a way to get Grayson Rodriguez enough starts. He's, he's looked so good down the, down the stretch that they'll find a way to make that work. So 
I think that's a nice one too. I I don't think that there's much question that those guys are going to get into the four man rotation. I mean, honestly, if they could just shut Rodriguez down or you know give him like very light outings the rest of the season to to try to save some postseason bullets at this point. If they win a game or two more, like they're they're looking pretty good against the Rays at mm-hmm. that point. So I'm not worried about him having availability. Maybe they're gonna maybe they're gonna try to keep him to five innings in the playoffs. Just saying, oh man, like this guy is kind of redlining a little bit this year, and he's gonna be as amped as you can possibly imagine for the playoffs. Let's do him a favor and set him up to succeed by not asking him at the very end of his uh of his inning rope to go extra innings if he that are kind of hard hard. I mean, all the playoff teams have good offenses this year. Those are gonna be hard innings. So I, I could see him being like limited slightly in innings, but those two are just yeses for me. And then I don't know, <laughs> like, like you said, they they have a lot of good number four types. And so I think they're just going to use some of those guys. I, if I were them, I'd go with Gibson and means. I really like John means. Uh, just, I, I've just always believed that he's good. Even when he, I guess he's basically always been good to be honest. But I think that the fact that they're trying to get it, that they put him into the six man rotation right away. You could imagine a playoff team, in a tight divisional race that's worth a buy, just saying, look, John, like, work out of the bullpen. Like, we're going to stick with what's working. The fact that they, like, threw him right into the rotation suggests to me that they think they know what they're doing there and that what they're doing there is, like, using him because they think there's a chance they're going to use him in the playoff. Now, and then I mean, Kyle Gibson's he, only he good against the start. Blue Jays, so if that's the matchup, uh, Kyle Gibson will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I... I think they like Kyle Gibson more than, say, uh, a neutral fan might, and less than a fan who only works against the Blue Jays might. Please, <laughs> if he's your number four starter, you're not so sad. Okay, so from there, so you, you mentioned you'd probably pick the Rays or the Jays if they had the bye, but they don't. The Orioles are probably yeah. going to get the bye. They have a two-and-a-half game lead. They have the tiebreaker. They have no games left against Tampa Bay. They're in control here. So let's look at Toronto's potential options here. Let's play out the scenario where the Jays get into the postseason. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you you can't you can't tank for the third wild card spot. But let's say we head into the last day of the season. The Jays know that they're in, but there's a possibility you could land in wild card two or wild card three. How big do you see the gap between in a three game series, the Rays and a twins team that is demonstrably worse than the Rays, but has Sonny gray and Pablo Lopez at the top of the rotation. Uh, I don't care. I don't want to play the Rays. Okay. Yeah. I know you're not supposed to say that. No, I'm supposed to win every game. And you're, you're supposed to say it in Toronto. If you've had like the Jays have some like historic, underperformance at the trop over like decades of sample. It's, it's not, it's not good. Yeah. I just, I'm also, the Rays are so good at in short series, just like turning their bullpen loose and figuring out the right lineups to bring. It just feels like they outperform their numbers in these short series, just long-term. They're really good at that. And their playoff team always looks a little different than their regular season team. And yeah, like they're really good at all these things and they have had a lot of data with the Jays to try to figure out what to optimize. Look, I, I think like you said, the starting pitching matchups are probably t- tougher with the twins, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather play them. 
Uh, and, and hey, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans would feel the same. I feel the same despite the Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez of it all. Um, but yeah, you can't choose if you're the Blue Jays. And you got to get in first. So the Jays have pretty good yeah. odds based on the latest uh, fan graphs. Playoff odds, they're up a little north of 80%. We know if they win seven at this point, they're they're in for sure. Um, so let's take a look at, at some of the Jays stuff here, Ben. And, and I know you wrote a yeah. probably the best headline on fan graphs this year into the Schneiderverse uh, about a week ago about just how good good Davis Schneider start has been and the context that went into that um, Davis Schneider in a bit of a, a skid here. He's over his last 23 with a walk and a hit by a pitch mixed in there. Some good batted ball stuff, some good process stuff at, at the plate. So maybe this is nothing, but given that, you know, you wrote the, Hey, best 23 game start piece. And now he's, he's struggled a little bit. What have you made of this kind of six game cool off period for Schneider? I mean, I knew I was going to jinx him when I wrote that he had the best 23 game start of all time. You it's, weren't alone, man. It's not even, don't, don't put the blame on yeah, yourself. Exactly. Yeah. It's not even jinxing so much as like, look, you, you can do the uh, Wiley coyote run off the cliff and <laughs> don't fall until you look down for a while. But eventually like, I don't know. No one's this good. And I don't think that his true talent is what he's done in his last six games either, which is, you know, like very bad. Like, <laughs> But I think there's a lot to really like there. Uh, it just, there's every so often these guys that talent evaluators just miss on. Like, they, something about them changed, or something about the way that their skills translate to higher levels of the minors cha- is like not what we expected. And you look at him, and I actually saw a really good comparison uh, from one of the people I was talking with in my chat this week. Like, how different is David Schneider than Isaac Paredes? They're like dispositionally kind of similar players in that their real skill is that they hit a lot more balls in the air than you'd think. And they're dead pull on those balls. And that's good. Um, I actually wrote a bunch about this last week. Mm -hmm. Like you look at expected metrics and people say, Oh, if you hit a, like a medium hit fly ball in the air, that's mostly bad. And that's true. But if you pull it, Oh man, it's like, it's often a home run. And David Snyder, like lives that like that is that's basically why he has value. That's why he's been so good is because he's got a lot of extra base hits where you're like, like really should that, should that be? But it is. And like, not fake, you know, the, like you look at his home run spray chart and they're all the left field and they're all dead pull and like, fine. <laughs> that's a great way to live if you can get it. And it really looks replicable. I, I don't watch him and think he's doing this by accident. I watch him and think his entire game is designed about either taking a walk, striking out or getting the ball in the air to the pole side. And I mean, I don't think he's going to be kind of to name various famous blue Jays. Um, like he's not Jose Batista <laughs> in terms of doing this like particular skill that I don't think that that's where this is headed. Unfortunately, um, that would be awesome, but it doesn't really look to me like he's, capable of that kind of power. That piece was just incredibly powerful in addition to having this uh, lift and pull skill set. He's not just Donaldson. He's like not the defender that Donaldson is or the power hitter that Donaldson is. But if you think of him as kind of a budget version of those guys, and I, I think Predis is a, a great example of that. Like those guys are awesome. Predis has been worth like four plus wins above replacement this year for the Rays. And yeah, fine. The Rays are smart about using him, but like 
the blue, no one's saying the Blue Jays can't be smart about using <laughs> Schneider. Like they're allowed to do that, you know? And I don't think he's embarrassing defensively. I, I'm not that worried about his strikeout rate because it comes with a bunch of walks and a bunch of power. Look, I, yeah, I mean, he's not the best hitter of all time. I, I, I hate to say it despite my, my hype. He's not, but he's a good hitter. He looks like a real major league hitter. And you go look at his minor league data. He's in the minors this year too. It's not like he was bad in the minors and then they called him up and he suddenly caught fire. He was crushing it in the minor leagues. He had a 400 on base percentage. Like I don't see why this isn't real ish and real ish might be 20% better than average batting line. And you know, he's 90% better than average right now. So there's a lot of breaking to be done in the long run, but I often with these guys who have really hot starts, you come away thinking like, ah, nah, like this doesn't look real. And with him, I think (laughs) he's getting really lucky, but I think the the tools are there that he's like, he's got a good idea of what he's doing at the plate and enough skill to execute it. Yeah. It's not uh, it's not Gabe gross in his first year with the blue Jays or uh, what was it? Shannon Spencer with with the Yankees or or, Hey, DJ Stewart at the end of this year with the Mets. Uh, There's some realness there. And I I like the Paredes comp. Like obviously he strikes out less, but yeah, sign me up for 49 home runs over two years. And and you, uh, you kind of protect the matchups and styles you deploy them in. Um, So in this piece where you wrote about Paredes and the, and the value of pulling the ball in the air, uh, I was actually going to bring that up anyway, because there are a couple blue Jays in there and, and the way you kind of highlighted for anyone who didn't see the piece, uh, go to Fangraphs and check it out. But something that by way of Paredes hitting the ball in the air and pulling it pretty much exclusively in the air does is, well, he does pretty well comparing his actual outcomes to his expected outcomes. And we have spent all the time in the world this year exploring why Vlad's expected outcomes don't line up with his actual outcomes. Now, that's been a little bit better the last couple of days, um, but you know, you look at this leaderboard of guys who hammer the ball and don't quite get the results that the batted ball data suggests. And we look at that list. And by the way, the list also includes Teoscar Hernandez and Matt Chapman uh, of the guys having the toughest time. But we also see names like Acuna, Tatis, Soto. And what do you think of with guys like that and guys like Vlad? It's the guys who display that power to all fields rather than just the pull side. Um, what do you make of that? And particularly with, you know, Vlad and Chapman as the two guys on that list who are not having the same, like Acuna, Tatis, Teoscar, those guys have the big gaps between actual and expected, but they are also having tremendous actual results. And that hasn't quite been the same for Vlad and Chapman on fly balls. Um, What do you make of that kind of correlation there that, hey, using all fields for your power might mean you don't get quite the results that the, the batted ball stuff suggests? Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it, that, Using all fields means you might not get what the batted ball data suggests. It doesn't mean you won't get good results. Um, like, I think Vlad really is getting unlucky. But forget the expected batted ball data. He's just smashed a lot of, like, pulled line drives that turn it out and stuff. But the way the batted ball data works, they just bucket it all together, right? And so if some guy is outperforming it in a sustainable way, and I would argue that people like Schneider and Fredek are, because those, like, the batted ball data doesn't care whether you pull it, whether you hit it to center, whether you hit it to the opposite field. But obviously, in real life, that matters. Like, it just matters a lot. And so guys that can keep doing that are always going to outperform their numbers on those fly balls, on these, like, weekly like weekly to mediumly hit fly balls that sneak over the fence and that if you're a home fan, you're like, yeah. And if you're a visiting fan, you're like, ah, come on. <laughs> but, like, we know guys do that. Like, that, 
that's just a real skill. I've seen it happen a bunch of times. You know, look at Yankee Stadium. Like, they have hitters designed to hit the ball over that wall. And so I don't really know how good of a framework the whole underperforming thing is because if Paredes and Schneider outperform, someone has to underperform. The, right. the data, like, it zeroes out in the end. Like, they, they make the data right. It's, it's not gooped up. It has to all add up to zero. And so Vlad, who just most of his balls that are hit 95 to 100 miles an hour are mishits because he's so powerful. Like when he actually gets into it, it doesn't matter where it's going. It's just gone. And so that cast says, oh, that's a home run. Like, and so he performs exactly like his batted ball data on his home runs because they're all just crushed, like into the stratosphere. Um, but when he kind of mishits it and hits it to center field, that cast says, oh, well, like that was an out. But some of those turn into home runs. Yeah, well, like Perez and Schneider are taking those home runs. Those are theirs. And so if you average up, like, let's say, six flyouts and four home runs, well, it's going to look good for the guys with the four home runs and terrible for the guys with the flyouts. But realistically, like, I don't care about those balls for Vlad. That's not why I'm interested in him. And so I'm not sure that looking at the pure batted ball metrics is a great way to think about his production. Like, Vlad has had a disappointing season, no doubt. But I don't think it's because he hasn't been adept at pulling his medium hit contact. He's never been adept at pulling his medium hit contact. That's not a thing he does. Like it, it would be weird if he did, because when he truly gets into it, like, and pulls it, it's going way harder than these. Like <laughs> Vlad doesn't pull 95 mile an hour home runs very often because he pulls 110 mile an hour <laughs> home runs. And so like the, the whole underperformance thing, I, I think is, it's kind of looking at the wrong issue. Now, I'm not arguing that Vlad hasn't gotten unlucky this year. Like I said, like he has, but I think that using like expected weighted on base or any of those to do it kind of missing the point because there really are skills at pulling the ball or not pulling the ball. I think what's interesting to me on this is I looked at how these guys have actually done when they've pulled the ball, like how have they hit and Predis and Vlad have almost the exact same production when they pull a fly ball. And so you could argue that, man, that's bad for Vlad because Predis is a, a little dude and Vlad's enormous and <laughs> like Vlad should be massively outperforming him there. But it's not fair to say that Vlad is getting, you know, embarrassed in this comparison. And in fact, he's doing much better to center field and to the opposite field. But Predis is good at pulling the ball more often. And that's something that Vlad really could work on because, you know, we'd like to see him get to his top end power more frequently. That would be great. Like that's that's kind of always been the promise, right? That he makes so much contact and he's so powerful that he's going to hit a lot of absolutely tattooed line drives. And what he is, but he did more. Yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, this is the thing with uh, you know, it's supposed to be the floor with with Vlad is like, yeah, the season he had forty eight home runs, he was also a three eleven hitter. The line drive and all fields approach is supposed to mean, hey, even when the power slumps, the batting average is there. We haven't quite seen that uh this year. But that's a that's an interesting look at it and how we look at these expected metrics. I think it's well said, Ben, that um, you know, you don't want to classify it as unlucky. It's a zero something, so you can't compare apples to oranges, but it's uh it's a helpful descriptor and certainly when we dig in on it like you did with Paredes and with Davis Schneider. Uh, ben Clements of Fangraphs, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Ben Clements of Fangraphs, make sure you go over there and uh, check that piece out, the, the Isaac Isaac Paredes 
piece and the uh, the the Baltimore Orioles piece as well. If you're looking ahead to potential matchups uh, there, thanks to Ben, thanks to Keith McPherson, thanks to Jeff Ponce, and thanks to Ben Nicholson Smith for coming on the show today. Um, so there was some news earlier about some lineup changes here at Sportsnet. Going to fill you in a little bit on how that affects us. Uh, for right now, it doesn't. Jays Talk Plus is with you until the Jays are no longer with you. So no impact there. Uh, but two minor notes is today's Je- producer Jeff Azapartis last day with us. He's joining the morning show next week. So thank you to him for all the great work uh, this summer with us. I'll miss him. Nick Blackmore will be tagging in the rest of the way here. And uh, on a personal news side, once Jay's Talk Plus ends, once the Jay's season ends, I'm going to be joining the Raptors show with Will Lou and Alex Wong uh, full-time. That'll be two hours, two to four, on the Sportsnet Radio Network, on Sportsnet 360, on Sportsnet Plus. Uh, so either October 16th, they'll start October 16th no matter what. I will start up with them October 16th or whenever your Toronto Blue Jays are eliminated from postseason contention. Small note from during the show today, too. If you're looking ahead to that Minnesota Twins potential matchup, Carlos Correa hit the IL with plantar fasciitis. Uh, It's something he's dealt with, uh, you know, foot and ankle issues throughout the year. So that's something to keep an eye on in the closing week here as well. Uh, Jays look to shrink their number of wins that they need to lock in a playoff spot from seven to six tonight. It's Kevin Gosman against Michael King, 7 p.m. at Yankee Stadium. Jesse Rubinoff and Sam McKee coming up for you next. Blair and Barker, five to seven.